then, this is Paul Andrews and welcome to Be Positive on men's and women's radio stations. If you haven't listened before, you are most welcome. Be Positive is the show where I chat to a wide range of motivated and positive people to find out more about them, to find out their stories and to try and get as many ideas that they might have that you and I can benefit from. Don't forget, if you know a brand or a company that could benefit from sponsoring our little show, then please do get in touch at the websites. In one of the previous episodes, we spoke to a friend of mine, Lee Hathaway, who recalled the advantages for his mental health of living on a canal boat. He was explaining how the lifestyle and the pace was so beneficial, especially during the lockdown that we've all had to endure this year. With that in mind, and the fact that my very hard-working wife was desperate for some kind of holiday this year, we decided to take a boat up and down the Thames for a few days with some friends. It was indeed a very different kind of holiday, and whilst it was quite active, navigating locks, doing the chores that come with a boat trip, and in our case getting out of a few tricky situations, like low bridges and needing a tow when the boat got grounded, it was incredibly relaxing too. I was trying to explain to someone as to why it was so good for the mind. For a start, the river mentality is quite different to that of, say, driving. The speed limits are low, nothing is rushed, and pretty much everyone looks out for each other. Rarely did we pass a boat where we didn't exchange a wave and at locks that were unmanned everyone got together and helped the progress of boats in both directions and when we did need help the very first people we flagged down were keen to come to our assistance but I think the overarching feeling I can report back on is that with boating it's not about the destination it's about the journey We could easily get to Oxford and back in a day by car and do a good tour of the city while we're there. But it wasn't about the destination. It was about the journey. And I think there's a message in that for our everyday lives. We often talk about goal setting and motivating ourselves to achieve goals. But the journey to those goals deserves to be as enjoyable as possible as well. There's little point trying to reach a financial goal, for example, if on the way you lose everything and everyone you love. The journey is just, if not more, important. And so maybe that's an area we should explore more of when we talk about goals to be had. Everything in life is part of our journey. And if we use that analogy, to be frank, most of us don't want to reach the destination too quickly. So maybe we could all benefit from slowing down, interacting with more people on the route and helping others who need it. That way we make all of our journeys more enjoyable and happy. And of course, it's very important to look out for people in our river of life who might need help on the way and give them a tow or help them find someone who can. My guest today has a remarkable story to tell and one that highlights um, some important topics we've covered before. Before we chatted, all I knew was that his life had changed drastically about three years ago and 
that Beyonce once bought him a pizza. So it's my pleasure in saying hello to Taylor James. Thank you for coming on, Taylor. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know very little about you, so, but I do know that probably just over three years ago, your life changed completely. So let's go back there and you can fill in the gaps. How old are you now? Don't mind me asking. 30. So I, I spent my 30th birthday in lockdown, which was, which was oh. great. <laughs> yeah, lovely. It was wild. <laughs> so were your 20s like uh, they were for pretty much everyone? Wild and partying? Um, I'd like to say I, I did my fair share of like partying. Um, but I also had the extra kind of responsibility of like I was the man of the house. So I've kind of been the main like financial support for like my mum and my sister throughout my 20s. Right. Um, so I, I still did my fair share of partying and holidays and stuff, though. I, I, that, that was probably my main priority. <laughs> So what, how, how come you ended up as the main breadwinner from, from what age? Um, so it was after my mum and dad got divorced. It was, it was around about 15, 16. So, yeah, it was obviously, it was a tough situation, but it was one that was very toxic to be around. And my younger sister was very, well, very young at the time. Um, she, yeah. She was in primary school and, you know, some of the stuff that was going on and some of the stuff that we were seeing, it just, it just wasn't right. So, yeah, I had to kind of stand up to the mark and I had to get my mum out of a situation that was a very tough one, which seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> now I've just realised, as, <laughs> as that's, I've just said that. You took the reins quite early on then. Yeah. And then what happened... About three years ago then. So my mum had a slip disc in her back. Um, so she went in to have it operated on. It was fairly routine. The operation went okay and she came home. But what was happening in that time, like she was becoming very kind of delirious, a little bit like all over the place, like she was slurring her words and like dropping things. But I initially thought she was just overdosing on medication and you know she was on like oromorph which obviously is incredibly strong yeah um and then it got to a stage where like i was having to like carry her to the toilet i was like something's not right here like, i need to get her to hospital so what had happened when we got there is the spinal fluid was actually leaking and it had collected at the bottom of her spine which then became infected so we were in hospital for a huge period of time. Well, it was, it was that day. And then they assured me that, you know, we just need to drain this and then it should be, should be okay. So I actually left the hospital around 2 a.m., come home because my sister was actually starting her GCSEs the day after. So I came home to get everything sorted, to get her, you know, off to her first day of exams. And literally I hadn't even closed the door to send my sister off in the morning and they rang me to say, you know, Taylor, you need to get to the hospital. You need, we need to make a decision in regards to your mom's brain. Oh me my. being really confused. I was like, well, no, it was a back. They were like, no, Taylor, it was, it's, it's her brain. You need to get here. And then when I got there, it was hands down the worst 
time of my life. It was like a scene out of casualty. It was, you were, I was talking to like this little tiny room with my nan. Um, and it was, they just basically said like the spinal fluid traveled up her spine, um, and collected at the bottom of her um, brain and which then caused a blockage and basically starved the brain of oxygen. So when they're saying all these things and, you know, these words, you know, you only see like on casualty and stuff, you're like, is this actually happening? It's like, you, it's so much to take in, but you're kind of just expected to, you know, just, just get on with it. They're giving you worst case scenarios and they were, you know, they were saying things like brain dead and, oh, God. you know, you know, the chance of her surviving. It's like, hang, it's like hang on a minute like you know eight hours ago i i she was talking like she was she was fine um so then yeah she was put into a medically induced coma and then was put into intensive care um on life support and not knowing if she was actually going to live it was tough I think the the worst thing about it all was the fact that um, I had to tell my sister. Like yeah. my sister had no idea. Like I don't know how I did it, if I'm being honest. But she's an remarkable young woman now, and yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's a tough situation to be in. But you know, my mom got to a stage then when they said like, look, we, we can't do anything more. We're going to be turning the life support machine off. But this was smack bang in the middle of my sister's GCSEs. So then I just remember being in the hospital and practically begging the surgeon at the time to like, look, can we just keep it on until my sister gets through her exams? And I don't know what made him do it, but he was like, okay, but unfortunately there's no signs of life. There's no signs of this. There's no you know, brain activity there, it will be shut off at this date. And so it gave her an extra week. Gone in for a slip disc. Yep. <laughs> what had happened? It's, honestly, I still don't know. It's still very up in the air as to what actually went wrong. It's currently being investigated. So, but yeah, it's... I think it was just general wear and tear, like why it got to that point. My mum was a very active woman. Like she, she worked in a school. So she was always up at 6am with a coffee, like fag in her hand, asking us what we want for dinner at 6am. It was, you know, it's one of those annoying parent things, which, you know, I, I, I would give anything to have those days back now. But yeah, she's, she's a remarkable woman, my mum. She's an incredibly inspiring person. and. She has gone from strength to strength and, you know, we, she's now in a rehabilitation home in like not so far away from where we live. And, you know, she, she's had COVID like she's, you know, she's, she's been thrown every possible thing that you can think of has been thrown at my mom and she is still here, giving out her orders, terrorizing us on a daily basis. Well, that's fantastic to hear. It's it's tough. It's like, it's like three times a year we get told or we get a phone call or we're sat down by a doctor to say like, like, you know, your mom's not going to make it. It's not looking good. And every time like she, she just, she just pulls through. 
she's at this point I don't even know if she's like real. I don't know if she's like <laughs> half robot or something, but yeah, it's well it's, it's thank goodness you pushed <laughs> to keep her on life support when so many of us might have yeah. said, Well, yeah, okay, it's probably for the best, but Oh, definitely. Even even after that conversation, I mean, it wasn't I mean, I think obviously I've shortened the story down, but it, yeah. it wasn't just like an overnight thing. It was I was spending like close to like twelve hours a day, like by a bedside, just like squeeze my hand, squeeze my hand and getting getting nothing kind of in return. But, you know, I think this is why I think these kind of conversations are really important to have now about, you know, keeping resilient, you know, that mindset of and you know, the hard work, because it, it honestly, it pays off. I mean, I'm incredibly lucky. It doesn't work out for everyone, but just kind of keeping that mindset and just being true to yourself. I like, always trust your gut because the amount of arguments I've had with doctors, <laughs> yeah, like they've told me this is going to happen. And this point, I'm just like, hmm, well, well, we'll see, won't we? But they, they look at me like as if I'm a kid. <laughs> <laughs> How long did that go on for from, you know, that first day where it all went wrong? So it happened in May, the beginning of May. And then she kind of didn't show any kind of signs of like, like even like opening her eyes or anything till around, I think it was around June, July. Um, and at this point, obviously, she she wasn't able. She lost the ability to speak. Like she lost control. She's lost um, the use of her legs altogether. Um, and there's very kind of basic movement in her hands. And then she didn't actually speak for the first time until the October. So, you know, at that point, we didn't even know if she was going to be able to speak properly. I mean, the rehabilitation home that she's in is like fantastic, but. When you're in those kind of environments, you, as much as they do so much incredible work, you count your blessings that the situation could have been a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. But I mean, from your point of view, you've gone from being the breadwinner um, to now, you know, in charge of the household completely. Oh. And do you know what? No one prepares you for like what size bin bags you need, like <laughs> TV license, water. But I didn't know any of that kind of existed <laughs> until this happened. But what was going through your mind, you know, when when you, you know, when your mum started to show signs where um, she was going to recover, albeit very, very, very slowly. But what's going through your mind, as in? I've got to look after mum. I've got to look after my sister. And I've still got to, yeah. I presume, work. Yeah. So this is where it got very difficult because, because for a huge part of my life, I was so used to doing things for like my mum and my sister. This is why when it happened, I took like a bit of a duck to water. You know, I had the basics of kind of how to run a house how to kind of, you know, manage money and this, that, and the other. So that side of things, although it was very tough, I, it, it wasn't too overpowering for me. But I think what I'm not afraid to say now, looking back, was I was, I was petrified. And all I was doing was distracting myself with the situation with my mom, doing everything for my sister, 
that it was my mental health and my kind of general well-being took an absolute battering. Whilst obviously going to the hospital, you know, trying to keep my career intact. You know, I've, I've been incredibly lucky with, you know, the people who I work with. But yeah, I think this is why now I'm in a situation why I'm talking about it because I, I, I did the typical male thing. I bottled everything up. I was just I was about like, to I'm say, fine. did anybody know? I mean, everybody knew you were under pressure, but did you vocalise the fact that I'm under pressure here? I think they could all see it, but I think because I was so headstrong, I mean, like I was next of kin and, you know, like as much as you see that like written down on like pieces of paper, you don't really ever take much notice of it until I was in a situation when they were asking me questions like life support machines, like switching off, like what do you think like what you know your input and you know you're making the decisions for your mom like you know i'm used to her you know shouting at me and dictating to me like what i should be doing so then when the shoes on the other foot like it is it's scary and very overwhelming but you know i think you know i'm very close to like my nan but i think now i can appreciate like you know she's watching her little girl go through that situation yeah. like my aunties are watching her sister go through that situation and I think because I'm that kind of guy who's like no I'm fine like let's let's just do it look at the you know look at the positives you know which she's still here you know we're all still together and I'm very much that kind of person to look at the positives rather than the negatives in situations but obviously when that amount of pressure is put on you that's very hard to stay yeah to stay completely positive. Did you give yourself any me time to deal with it? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is kind of what led me to... I'm going to say, like, in, in January of this year, I got to a stage where I couldn't do it anymore. Mum had just been in hospital for aspirated pneumonia so we had another conversation with them saying, you know, she's not going to make it. You know, this is what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it was just, I can't keep doing it. I, I, could not, I couldn't see a way out other than the inevitable. And my sense of humour had gone, whereas my humour is my biggest coping mechanism. And, you know, that had gone and like my friends were picking up on little things like something's not quite right. Um, yeah. So you said I, throughout the the period you were you you stayed positive and you you know you knuckled down and got on with it. We've we've talked on this show in the past about false and fake positivity, where you know you you convince yourself, oh, everything happens for a reason, um, but in actual fact, sometimes you have to go. No, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, do you think you were fooling yourself at some times? 110%. Right. Completely agree with that. So you realised in January of this year that, you know, your disposition yeah. of positivity wasn't actually true. Yeah. And I think a lot of stuff came crashing down on me in January. Um, I got to a stage where I, ju I just couldn't do it. And I went down a very dark path that, I hope to God that I'm never, ever on again. Um, a lot of thoughts were kind of 
crossing my mind, just, you know, completely just removing myself from the situation. Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to continue living my life the way that it was. It, it was tough, you know, and there, there was no way out. The amount of pressure that not only was on me, but the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself just completely overwhelmed me. So in the sort of two and a half years leading up to this January, were people saying, oh, you're doing so well? Yeah, the usual stuff like, oh, I don't know how you're doing this. Right. Like I would have crumbled and you're just kind of like, you're laughing it off like, yeah. And the, but then when you actually ask yourself that question, I, I still don't know how I've done it. I don't know how my little sister has done it. You know, I, I don't know how my mum has done it. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a very tough question to answer. No, I know. And sometimes, you know, I don't think anything is black and white. And sometimes, you know, false positivity can do you good because it forces you to deal with the situation. Yeah. But you do have to release and find out, you know, how do I actually feel? So in January, when you got to that point of realization. Yeah. What did you do to turn it around? So I've got an incredible support network. Like me, me and my sister, are, I'm, I'm very lucky to have the little sister that I have. Like we're, we're best mates. Like, you know, we're housemates. We're like everything. Like it's, I'd be completely lost without her. But I also have a very good friendship circle who have obviously been there from day one of all this happening. And it was actually my best mate who pulled me aside. I was like, come around, have a beer. I'll make some food. Well, I need to have a chat. And I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it's just because of the headspace I was in. It all just came out. And I was just like, I can't, I can't keep doing it. Because I think because they've seen me, like every time like I get that phone call, like even now, like I, I suffer with um, PTSD. So even if I get a phone call of like a withheld number, I automatically think it's a hospital. Yeah. If my mom's home rings me, automatically my head goes, and, you know, I start having anxiety and my panic attacks kick off and it's, I'll go back to, to day one and it's like, I'll go back to being like a little kid being told that his mum's going to die. It's, yeah. It's I, I know exactly painful. what you mean. Um, had a, a similar circumstance. And when you get that call in a fraction of a second, you yeah. run through all the scenarios and yeah. what you could do if this is the call, um, and then you, you say, oh, really? Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. And you think, oh, that was a lot of wasted mental energy. Yeah. In a, you know, but I know what you mean, because in that fraction of a second, you have gone. It's, it's, it's like everything turns into slow motion. It does, so it's yeah. Like, and then you're like running, like you said, like every scenario. And it's like, well, okay, well, if that happens, I need to do this, 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 yeah. and this. I think it's like it's, I think the way like I've, I've, I describe it, it's like, you know, when like a, a parents are about to have their, uh, have a baby, but they've got like their hospital bag ready yes. to go. For me, I have that, but it's like in my head when I receive a phone call, it's like, if it's the inevitable, I need to contact the family. I need to speak to my sister. I need to, yep. you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's bizarre, but no, it's, I know exactly what way you mean. To it. I don't know if you've ever had this, uh, which I find very funny is you see the with held number on your phone and you do that thing and within two seconds you've worked out 
you know, the next week's plan and who you yeah. need to call first. <laughs> and you answer it and it's a cold call trying to sell you insurance. Oh, you've been in and, an accident. And like, yeah, and you what? go, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what, I'll take that accident over what the phone call I was expecting. <laughs> yes, I know, I know that scenario. <laughs> so your best friend sat you down and did you let it all out? Mm, not as much as I should have. I'm incredibly guarded and I don't know whether it's just been drilled into me from, you know, growing up or, you know, showing, you know, even like emotion and stuff, like for me, it's like a sign of weakness. When in fact now I can, you know, three years later, I can say that is just stupid. Like if you need to cry, if you need to be emotional, if you need to get it out, you're the only person you're going to hurt in the long run is yourself if you do not let it out. And then, yeah, they, I, I got the help I needed. I reached out to, I was incredibly lucky to get the therapist that I did. They actually worked at my mum's place. So I didn't have to go down the whole route of like explaining everything again. They were aware of the situation. And then it, yeah, it started to untick a load of boxes for me in my head. And I started to slowly kind of process what happened. And then COVID happened. So my yeah. sessions had to come to an end, <laughs> which was great. I, I don't have a great track record when it comes to <laughs> looking after myself. But then that's when I, obviously the ball had started rolling. And I got to a stage where I was just like, I either keep opening up and reaching out and talking to people or I'm going to go backwards. and. For me at that time, I, I couldn't allow myself to go back into that headspace and that frame of mind that I was in in January. No way. So let's look at, you know, let's say now you've got that realisation and now your motivation and positivity is honest with yourself. Yeah. And, you know, a year and a half ago, everybody saw you as motivated and positive, but we now know you weren't truly yeah. what do you think are the main differences between now and then for you i think i've kind of accepted the inevitable instead of i'm not worrying about something that's going to happen because regardless of whether it happens tomorrow or if it happens next year it's going to happen regardless there is absolutely nothing i can do to stop what's you know coming next yeah. And I think this, to be fair, I think as much as there's probably not many people who are grateful of the lockdown situation and isolation, um, but I actually am because it's proven to me that I don't have to be there. Like my mum got, you know, she, she, got, she got COVID and again, she survived it, but I wasn't allowed to be there. I wasn't in the hospital. Like obviously I was like, we haven't been able to see my mum properly for like three, four months. Yeah. And well, no, actually, it's longer than that. March was the last time we saw her properly. Yeah. And I think it's just proven to me that I don't have to be there as much as I have. You know, my mum was a very strong, resilient woman. And I think it's, you know, time now to, for her to fight, for her to have her journey and for me to kind of start living mine. So what do, things do you allow yourself to do now that you didn't do then? I give myself time out. I give myself, like, if I'm angry or if I'm upset, 
Like I'll just accept the fact that, you know what, well, this is just an emotion and it will pass. You know, no one's happy 110% of the time. You know, sometimes there aren't positives in situations, but it's about finding the right kind of coping mechanisms, surrounding yourself with the right people. There was a lot of people that are kind of not cut off because it sounds very kind of cutthroat, but I backed away from and I was like, well, okay, I need to start doing things that are right for me. And because I'm such a huge kind of giver, like I'm, you know, whether it's friend, family, you know, whatever the situation, I'm always the one who kind of steps forward to make other people happy. Yeah. Because that's what I thought made me happy. But what it was in fact doing, it was just a kind of a disguise because I didn't know how to be happy. Yeah. So now I'm slowly learning what does make me happy, you know, what makes me tick, you know, what's right for me and you know i'm I'm 30 and it's it's took me this long to get to this point oh i i don't think you've got anything to worry about there so so, some of us (laughs) some of us didn't realize until much later so (laughs) no but i think that's what i was trying to say it's just like it doesn't matter like what age i mean we're living in this generation where like by a certain age you need to have this 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 and this like if you get to this age you need to have that 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 and it's just you know, I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah, it's <laughs> it it ridiculous. It's just, it's all just for show. Sure. And some of it's meaningless uh, and some of it's pointless. And there is no rule book. There is no roadmap. Everybody is different, especially if you spend an awful lot of time pretending otherwise. Yeah. You will hit that wall one day. Exactly what happened. I didn't know before we spoke that, you know, you'd gone through two, two nearly three years of, of, of yes, everybody thinking tall. you're positive <laughs> when you weren't. Or you were t- to say, you know, like I say, there's no black and white. You were to a degree, but a lot of it was putting on the mask. Yeah. You know, um, a thing, you know, I come from an entertainment industry background and with entertainers, it's chronic. Because that's what they do for a living. So I think that's what's made it so much more. Like when I've spoken to like a few people, like on the podcast and stuff, it's it's been quite apparent that there these kind of issues are so deep rooted, and they're like a lot older than me now. Yeah, and it's kind of it's like I I don't know. There's something really sad about because I hate the fact that someone struggled for that period of time. But but. but You've got the problem kind of is it's a self-perpetuating it's yeah. a self-perpetuating myth because if you're putting on that mask and you've done it for thirty years, it's even harder to take the mask off and go. Actually, you know what? Yeah. I'm a nap well, away. That becomes your face, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't, like you, which does the mask actually ever come off? Yeah. Well, it doesn't, and you just put another one over the top. Um, <laughs> so. You say you, you avoid some people now um, to keep your, your own mental health good. Yeah. That, that's another very common thing we've heard a lot of on this show, you know, people secretly you know, muting people on social media so they don't suck the energy out of them. <laughs> what else do you avoid? Medical dramas. That's a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. You don't need them. <laughs> no. Literally, if I wanted that, I'd just ring my mum. <laughs> I haven't got time for that. Um, 
I think just any kind of situation where I know I'm either going to feel uncomfortable in. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is the power of no. I used to feel so guilty if like I cancelled on something or someone. And I mean, some of it was just because I didn't want to go, but some of it was obviously like anxiety driven. But I think, again, going back to like the, you know, the whole thing of like taking the time for yourself, like if you don't want to do something, just say no. It's, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. It's, you shouldn't be made to feel guilty. And if, if you are being made to feel guilty, I mean, unless it's work, obviously you have to go to work. But if, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, you've been invited somewhere and you, you're not quite feeling it, just be honest. Say like, look, I'm, I'm not quite, I'm, you know, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm not quite, re- you know, in that headspace to be in that kind of situation because that means probably more to people than hearing like, oh, you know, like a, not a lie, but, you know, sometimes it's easier to lie about the situation. But a lot of people weren't getting what they were used to from me. Their whole attitude, their behavior, everything changed towards me. And that's when I, I think it's been the biggest wake up call, I think, for me, because it was just like, well, actually, I, I can't continue this. Like, I can't keep giving everyone everything. Because it was quite clearly, you know, I was at the lowest of the low and I didn't hear a thing from a lot of people. So, not that obviously everyone has their own things going on, but. No, but some people do suck. Choose not to be. Yeah. You know, they, they literally will suck the life out of you. Yep. Um, and when you say no, they disappear. If yeah, you, some if people will right appreciate you. your honesty. Yeah. Um, and if someone doesn't, well, then more for them because uh, you'd just be lying. Exactly. And I think this is, and especially when it comes to like men's mental health and stuff, I think we, we take a lot of slack, but then a lot of it, we kind of, we kind of do it to ourselves. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, yeah. because, of, because of that, Putting on a brave face is probably the easy, easiest way of describing it. Um, you know, we give out false messages far more yeah. than, than uh, females do, uh, you know, traditionally. Um, and that's why men's mental health is such a big issue because yeah. it's, it's only got worse. It is, um, and I think especially with the moment and the kind of you know, the times that we're living in. I mean, you, you've, you've probably seen like the statistics and stuff. I mean, I don't know how true the statistics are, but I can well imagine, you know, being isolated from your friends, your family for that huge period of time would, would take an impact. This year has been a complete test of people's mental health, um, no matter what sex you are. Yeah. So if you're having a bad day when you wake up, what do you do to turn yourself around? So I'm a great, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fitness freak in the slightest, <laughs> but I'm very much a believer in getting up, you know, even if it's just getting out of bed, like, you know, you've achieved something, you know, you haven't wasted a day in bed. Um, but, you know, getting up, going for a walk, you know, going to the gym, you know, there's so many things that you can 
you can do. I mean, going for a walk, whack your headphones in, listen to a pod- podcast, um, radio, music, whatever it may be. Um, that's that for me is make or break. I think getting out of bed, um, not necessarily like being like a you know up in everyone's face, like oh you know I'm fine, this that and the other. Just taking that time, going for a walk, having some time out because I think it can really make or break your day. I totally agree because walking can well a it gives you the exercise that um, yeah. we're told <laughs> we have to have. Um, even though, you know, you sound like me in the fact that, you know, organized exercise, oh no, thank you very much, but going for a walk, but you can also effectively meditate at the same time, clear your head. I have a thing, like I really enjoy those, those walks where like you kind of forget that you're walking, but then you end up somewhere. Like it it baffles me how it happens and how, like I haven't been like run over or anything, but for some reason, like it's like subconsciously, like I'm out of it. But when I kind of snap out of it, it's like, oh, what well, you needed that time yourself. Yeah, when you when you suddenly go, where am I? Yeah, <laughs> I don't really <laughs> care. That was a really good. That was a really exactly. good moment. But I have no idea where I've got to. Uh, or you know, I've had people say, I waved to you the other day. Did you? I haven't got, <laughs> haven't got a clue. It's locked in my bubble. So do you think, I mean, one of the big things I can tell you're doing is talking to people, honestly. Do you think going through the trials and tribulations of the last three years has made you more positive or less positive? You know what? It's it's so weird how these kind of words like isolation and stuff like are being used now, like, because I felt that for quite a huge period of my life. Obviously. You know, in my head, I was not, I was the only person who, you know, my mom, this has happened to, who's now taken over a house, who's now, you know, practically a father figure. You know, I, this, I was the only person in the world that this has happened to. When my therapy sessions were cut short, I did what any normal person would do. And I thought, well, I'm going to start a podcast <laughs> because I needed to carry on talking. I need to kind of keep getting things off my chest. And the response I had was incredible. And it wasn't to, till going through all those kind of conversations and reaching out and kind of creating this platform that I realized that I wasn't on my own. There are so many people out there facing very different challenges, but, you know, there's a lot of kind of similar themes running throughout them all. Like there's, there's a girl who I, started talking to through my podcast that and I didn't realize that you know, they had a parent that they were caring for um and I've, I've known her since school and I was I had no idea that that was the situation that she was in and like the fact that she had gone through a huge period of her time when she was caring for a parent you know I, I you know I'm grateful that I don't have that responsibility you know it's my mom's very well taken care of and but for someone to be in that situation and to kind of understand how difficult it is to see your parent, you know, struggle, it was comforting in the nicest way possible. Because I don't want to sound like I'm grateful that other people are going through those struggles, but to know you're not me, alone is, yeah. is comforting. And I think, especially as a male who we kind of 
you know, we kind of puff out our chest and like, we're very much like lone wolf, I can do this. It was the biggest weight off my shoulders knowing that other people were going through various different struggles. And from just by opening up and having this podcast, it's kind of created a safe space and a platform for people to tell their stories and just, you know, be open and honest about how they're feeling, no matter what walk of life that you're from. So do you, can you identify now what really makes you happy? No. No. I still have a huge work in progress. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've, I found like a huge passion with like the podcast and stuff. It's something that I'm incredibly proud of. And for me to be proud, it's a weird emotion for me to feel. Like I'm very, very proud of myself for what I've achieved from it and what the people that I've managed to speak to. I mean, even conversations like this, I wouldn't, if I hadn't started my one, I wouldn't be sat here now having these kind of open conversations with myself. Sure. And I just, I just think it's a really incredible, incredibly powerful thing to be able to sit and have a conversation with, someone with how you're feeling. Absolutely. I mean, people talking honestly, um, what could be better than that? <laughs> exactly. And I think it's so relatable as well. Like We're so force-fed information about, you know, celebrities or politicians or, you know, and it's kind of, it's so suffocating. So this is why like, I'm so grateful for stuff like this, because it's like, I can relate to stuff like this. You know, I, I yeah. this makes me feel more human rather than who's just got married and who's just lied to get votes. You know, it's, no, absolutely. This is yeah. what I'd love about And it. most of the time, what you're seeing from celebrities is marketing because they are their, the product. Yes. Um, you know, and I've always said, uh, you know, for, for this show, I don't want to hear stories on someone in the public eye because I'm never going to get the truth because the yeah. truth won't sell the book <laughs> or the television show. It never will. So I think this is why I've talked such an, an angle with mine um, because music is my biggest coping mechanism. So I've actually, I don't know how I've managed to do it, but I've managed to, I mean, I think I'm quite grateful for lockdown that's happened because I feel like a lot of people have got a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> so a lot of people have said yes. <laughs> but I'm reaching out and I'm speaking to people that have made some of my favourite songs about how it was made, the inspiration behind it. And it wasn't until I was having these kind of conversations with people who I class as like idols, you know, I yeah. grew up listening to their music, that the stories behind them come from very negative situations and like, borderline traumatic experiences and i think sort of kind of like my own story i mean i'm not saying that it's like on that level but there is something beautiful about a lot of you know beauty being taken from horrible situations it's it's, it's a mad way of thinking about it not but, at all because you can get true beauty out of a, a horrible situation yeah. And you'll certainly get honesty as opposed to layering over the cracks. Exactly. Which is completely different. I, you know, I've got to ask you, um, related to your podcast, um, how did Beyonce end up buying you a pizza? <laughs> so, 
you know, this story sounds such a lie, but it's like it genuinely happened. I know, so. and, and I, I just want to know how it came about. We're best friends. No, 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 no. She's, she's sat here next to me. No, she's not. Um, basically, a few years back, my ex-girlfriend was a huge, huge Beyonce fan, and I managed to get tickets to see her at like a TV recording she was doing for... Um, I think it was like a Christmas special for ITV or something. So we went down to London and we were sat in this little room, like waiting to go in. And her sister, who I didn't know was actually quite famous as well until afterwards, till actually telling people like, oh, Beyonce bought me a pizza. But her sister came in and was like, oh, these, these are from the Carters. And yeah, she, she bought us pizza. I don't think I think people expect like oh I was like drunk stumbled out of a club and like she was next to me and like dominoes and she just handed me a slab of <laughs> margarita but but yeah <laughs> but it happened yeah it, it happened and I think I'm pro- probably one of the few people in the world that could say that Beyonce bought me a pizza and, and it's a, it's it was very you, dry. I think you should get. I think you should just get a business card with your name and that tagline and your phone number, because everybody would call just to find out. You know it's it's mad because it's like even stories like that, and even situations that we've been in, like with like my mum's situation. And I think this is why the importance is talking about because if I sat and literally just said some of the stuff that's happened to me over the past like five, six years, you're like, no, that has not happened. Like it's, it is insane, but Joe, it's, it's a story that needs to be told. It's, it it just makes it more engaging. And I, I, I love the opportunities like this. So I'm incredibly grateful that I'm here um, to be able to kind of share it. So you started your podcast, a podcast called the waffle shop. Yes. (laughs) It's not about food, unfortunately. No, no. A lot of people think it. But obviously that got you talking, which is very important. And we can tell from your voices, you're so motivated about it. Um, Who's the most inspiring guest you've had? You know what? I have spoken to like a a few celebrities, but but they are celebrities, but like a few people, like I said, like, who I've idolized and who I've seen. However, I think the most inspiring person that I've had on was my mum's friend, Joy. Um, she was actually given three weeks to live with cancer and she started like taking the oils. I don't know the stories behind it or the politics behind that kind of thing, but that happened just before my mum went into hospital. So she started taking this oil and there was a lot gone on in the background and she's still here with us today, like three years later. And, you know, she has like my mom been told like on many occasions that, you know, you're not going to make it. The cancer's back, this, that, and the other. And just having the opportunity to sit down and hear her story in her words, it's, you know, if, if people like that can, you know, get up, going through that much hardship and be in that much pain and get up about and go out about their day. You know, I, 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 I can't sit around and moan. You know, it's, it's, well, I can and I will, but, 
<laughs> and everyone's entitled to it. Absolutely. But and as you get older, inspiring. you'll do it more. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. It's, I love it. <laughs> so give us, uh, this is always the hardest question, three characteristics you would say you had now. Patience is probably number one. I never, I used to want everything done there and then, but the whole situation has taught me, you know, good things come to those who wait and good things come to those who work their asses off. I don't, actually, I don't know if I could swear. Sorry. You absolutely can. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not about so bad then. Honesty um, is key here. <laughs> yes. Well, there we go. And I think that's another thing. I used to be the person who would make up an excuse and be like, and then sit around feeling guilty. You know, it's like that feeling of like ringing in sick at work. And it's like, it's the build up to it. Like, and then, you know, you, you call in sick and then you kind of feel a little bit better afterwards. But patience, honesty, and don't know if this is so much a characteristic, but it's probably my biggest bit of advice for anyone. You've got to have a laugh. <laughs> like you have got to have a laugh. Like we're literally living in very, very serious times at the minute and, you know, falling into that trap of being kind of negative and, you know, it's so easy to fall into it, but, you know, it's, it, it will pass. It's not going to be forever. You know, think about what, you know, make those plans now. Like, you know, do, do what makes you happy. Someone with my sense of humour should not have been in the situations that I should have been in. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got myself into an awful lot of trouble a lot of times <laughs> for making jokes at inappropriate moments. I think one of my favourites was uh, I was in a hospital having um, a procedure and the nurse uh, put me in a gown, laid me on my side and the registrar came in and put the rubber glove on and did his business, and I said to the nurse, <laughs> I don't know what sort of operation you're running here. And then, and then I said, what, what do you mean? I said, you stuck me in a dress, and he shoved his finger up my ass. So, yeah, I think humour humor in dark situations has got to be, well, I mean, people in... You, you know, um, undertakers, surgeons, doctors, um, they all have very wicked sense of humour because got, that's how you that, yeah. get round it. The amount of kind of those doctors and surgeons, some of them that you look at, it's like they want to laugh, but like, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> time and place. Couldn't agree more. I always say, where would you be without a laugh? ITV. <laughs> 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 so if we want to listen more to you taylor it's the waffle shop yes the from, waffle shop podcast from whoever we get our podcasts from yeah it's, it's everywhere it's probably two out there to be honest <laughs> sometimes there's <laughs> some people i don't i don't i just, it still baffles me that people listen to my voice to be honest but it's, it seems to be helping people and it's keeping me, like selfishly, it's, it's given me a bit of a purpose at a time when I needed one. And yeah, it's created a bit of a community and, you know, I've actually made friends from it. And I think, you know, it's for someone who has spent 
quite a large period of his life feeling like he was on his own, it is completely broken down that wall. I mean, so many positive things have come out of you from having that realisation that you were fooling yourself. Yeah. Talking to someone and now talking to lots of people, helping them and helping yourself at the same time. Couldn't be better. Do you have any regrets? That I didn't do it sooner. That I didn't reach out sooner. But I'm a very stubborn person and I love to stay in my comfort zone. But nothing ever changes if you stay in your comfort zone. The day I kind of opened up and I spoke to my therapist and said, this is what's going on in my head. It was like an automatic weight has been lifted. It's not easy. It's it literally, it rips you apart. But believe me, there is something so relieving just speaking to someone about how you're feeling and being honest about how you're Yeah, I think that's my regret, not reaching out and speaking about it sooner. I had a feeling you'd say that. Because <laughs> if I didn't, I don't know, you know, I, I genuinely don't know where I would be right now if I hadn't. Um, this is probably going to sound quite deep, but it was one of the things my friend said to me, and it was that I'd rather be reading your text messages than reading something out at your funeral. And it was something that it was like, it was like a biggest kick up the ass, to be honest. It was like, no, yeah. I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this to other people. Do you know what? And it's like, I need to get the help for me, not for anyone else. But it had to be right for me. And yeah, that, that, I think that's the only thing I regret doing things sooner. Well, we wish you all the best with the podcast um, and obviously to your mum. No, oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you for having me. And just as importantly to your sister, who sounds amazing and um, she's an incredible, incredible young woman. Well, I don't know what word that's come out of my mouth then. <laughs> she's an incredible young woman. <laughs> she sounds it and and what's she studying now so she's now got an apprenticeship so she's working in a school like she's training to be a teacher and do you know what like i don't think i said it earlier but even when this was all happening like we were going to reading festival because i thought you know what we need to get away we need to have a bit of a break some downtime and she got her results the day we were going. And she came to the car and she was like, oh, I've done okay. I was like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> just go. And do you know what? Like the amount of people who said, like, she shouldn't be living with me. She should, you know, be, she needs a proper stable home. There's something like that. And she opened up her results and it was A stars, A, A, B. And do you know what? It was probably one of the proudest moments of my life. Mm. Yeah, so she's remarkable. Congratulations to both of you for that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I've loved it. That was Taylor James from the Waffle Shop podcast. And some of the things Taylor mentioned we've discussed before. Firstly, there was this attitude of resilience. When they told him it was the end for his mother, he had the strength and guts to say no. But then, with dealing with the aftermath, there was this attitude 
of what we can sometimes call toxic positivity, pretending to be motivated and strong when deep down you're not. Taylor actually said the magic word, which I think often highlights this in people. It's a word to look out for, and that word is fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Can often be a sign that someone is anything but fine. It's quite odd because when you're in a relationship, you usually know the word fine is a warning sign. Are you okay, darling? I'm fine. Is usually a sign for, oh, Jesus, what have I done? But it's one to look out for in your friends as well. If someone says they're fine, especially if, know the, if you know the person's in a circumstance that means fine is not possibly what they could be. Getting there, I'm coping, I have off days, are far better and are far more signs of honest positivity. But Taylor, thankfully, with the help of a friend, identified this and started doing something vital, and that was talking. The strapline of men's radio station is where men really talk, and I often think we should make the word really stand out in bold because really talking is the point. Really talking means honesty. Taylor spoke to his friend and then to a therapist and now to a whole host of people on his podcast, but he's really talking and talking honestly. Talking can, of course, mean emailing, texting, Zooming, whatever it is we need to do in our current climate. And can I suggest something? If you've spent a week telling everyone you are fine, when deep down you know you're not fine at all, pick up the phone, send an email, text someone and just say, can we talk? Most often you'll be very pleasantly surprised by the reaction. And don't be afraid to ask someone who tells you they are fine all the time whether they want to really talk. And one of the other key things Taylor highlighted as part of being honest with himself was the power of saying no. You don't have to say yes to everything to keep everyone else happy. Sometimes you'll need to say no to keep yourself on track. We can all be guilty of saying yes to keep others happy. But it's not at all selfish to say no if you need to. Sometimes you've got to look after yourself. Otherwise, you won't be able to help others in the future. If someone reacts badly to needing to say no for your own good, well, then are they really the people you need around you? And if someone says no to you, you'll be able to understand it's not an insult. It might not even mean they need your help or intervention. The best reaction you can give is, okay, okay, totally understand. And if you need anything, just ask. Not interrogating them as to why they said no, or worse, trying to force them into changing their mind. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget to get in touch on our social media platforms and on the men's and women's radio station websites. And all the shows are available as podcasts on the websites. So 
please, please keep sharing them around. Till next time, be positive.